Well, good morning. This is different, isn't it? There's a line in one of my favorite Tragically Hip songs. No dress rehearsal, this is your life. And it feels like we've gotten our life back. And we did rehearse, but it's certainly a different thing. Last Sunday, I think I had Callum pause the camera and redo a couple of things just for the sake of being able to do that. Anyway, my name is Alex, and if you're joining us um, as a visitor, uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Courtright, and we want to welcome you to our online service. Um, I have a quick announcement, and that's related to the anniversary service we were planning to celebrate outdoors on September 27th in the afternoon. Uh, we have decided to postpone that session made this decision yesterday after Premier Ford announced new restrictions on the size of private gatherings, which don't apply to us. But we thought we don't want to be a church that we're gathering with a large group and uh, the neighbors around the church see that. So we're going to postpone that celebration. We will have it at a later date. It's a sad development, but we continue to look forward to being together in a smaller number. Uh, in a different way on the morning of October 4th. So today we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. Let's pray before we open our Bibles. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of all of us here in this room and online this morning be acceptable and even pleasing to you, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I invite you to grab a Bible. Maybe you've got a hard copy. Maybe it's on a screen on one of your devices. And to open up Ephesians 4. And we're going to read from verse 17 to the first two verses of chapter 5. And I'll be referring back to verses quite a bit during the sermon, so you may want to keep that open. Paul writes, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And Gentiles were anyone who didn't know God. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is, the not, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. I've been waiting for six months to hear that response. And I hope you're doing it at home too. Um, We have been in our family on Sunday mornings. So here in Ephesians 4, the passage we just read, Paul gives us a picture of how to live as a Christian. He says, among other things, tell the truth, don't steal, get rid of bitterness and rage, be kind, and so on. And that comes towards the end of the passage. Now, just about every religion in the world are basically the same. The point of them all is to be good. And you'll meet atheists, too, who are nicer people than some Christians. So here's the question I want to ask this morning. Is there anything distinctive about Christianity? And I want to say, yes, there is, and that you find the core of it, actually, in our reading, the reading we did this morning. The first thing is to repeat what we saw last week. And that is that what makes you a Christian is not just that you're a nice person or a moral person and that you believe in the Bible. What makes you a Christian is that you have the life of God within you. Never think of Christianity as mainly a way of behaving. It's not just a way of being nice and of being kind and caring for people. Of course, it's all that, but that's not the essence of it. The gospel is so much bigger than being nice. You're not nice. You're new. Becoming a Christian means that you have been made new. So our reading today starts with a a stark contrast. In verse 17, Paul tells his readers not to live like the Gentiles. And, And here he's talking to Gentiles. So he's telling them to, he's pointing back to their former priorities, their way of life, and saying not to live like those who have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge themselves, and who are full of greed. So this is ultimately about who and what you're living for. It's about craving satisfaction. You can think of someone who turns to drugs and alcohol for refuge, and actually in the city of Ephesus, they had a temple to a god named Dionysus, which celebrated those things. Now, that kind of desire is more than just physical desire. It is that too, but even more... You crave the security, you crave the freedom that you think comes from those things, or even the control that alcohol or some drug may give you over your life. For some of us, it's craving money. The thought of not being financially secure fills you with all kinds of anxiety. And so you fixate on money, you save and you stress about it, and you're stingy because you need this abundance of money to feel satisfied and secure. For some others among us, it's the desire for marriage and for family in a certain way, perhaps, to be successful in that. So life can't be good if I'm not married, if my marriage isn't going well, or if my family isn't working out the way I planned. Any disruption of those expectations I have is devastating to me. And that's what we're like. We're desperate for satisfaction apart from God. We have these craving, greedy hearts. 
In verse 18, Paul says that these kinds of cravings come from being separated from the life of God. The Bible teaches us that we were created to be with God, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And, and when we were in harmony with him, when we were together with him, our hearts were satisfied, they were filled to overflowing. But when we rejected God and turned to our own way, we lost that essential life-giving, soul-satisfying relationship. And we know that we're missing something. I think we all know that in the deepest places. St. Augustine, who loved his pleasures after he came to Christ, said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And so he saw that the only place that we could find true satisfaction is in Christ. And Paul says here in this passage that we need two things. First of all, in verse 21, he says we need the truth that is in Jesus. And then in verse 23, he says that we need a renewed mind so that we can really receive that truth and that knowledge. Ultimately, we need a whole new vision of God and the eyes to see it. So where does that come from? Well, two places. Verse 21 assumes that you've heard about Jesus and were taught in him as the truth is in him. That's what happens when you meet Jesus, when you start to grasp the gospel. It's a story with such beauty, such drama, that when you get swept unto it, up into it, it's imagination. And it's not it's change that doesn't come by just correcting this or that behavior, but it changes you fundamentally. And so temptations lose their power because you've seen a far greater beauty. Now you know your purpose and you know how much power there is in the universe that's available to you. And so God's grace transforms you into the kind of person who loves and forgives. And our ignorance is overcome by the truth of the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. But we also need our minds renewed by the Spirit. And that's actually a better translation of verse 23 than what we read earlier in the NIV. We need spiritual renewal, and the Holy Spirit brings it. That's why Paul, twice in his letter to the Ephesians, prays for them. He knows it's not enough to tell them things. He knows that they depend on God to make it possible. God has to give you the eyes to see. A blind man can stare at the most beautiful vista in the world all day long, but he won't ever see it until he's given the sight to see it with. And that's the kind of renewal that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. The Spirit's always pointing us to Jesus, opening our eyes to his presence. So let's answer our big question. How is Christian morality fundamentally different than any other morality in the world, any other way of trying to change, any other behavior? How does the gospel transform you uniquely like nothing else can? Well, first of all, gospel change is at its core a change of desire. You live out truth because you love truth. That's where it takes you. God wants true change within you. He doesn't want moralism which is external behavior and behaving nicely. So, for an example, how do you get a child to stop lying? Some of you as parents maybe have faced this challenge. Well, I think some parents tell their child, don't lie. If you lie, you're going to get caught and then you'll be in trouble. Or they might say, you'll get caught and other people will feel differently about you. They'll think worse of you. And so you create in that child a fear, a fear of punishment or of rejection. 
and she becomes honest only because she doesn't want to be punished and wants to be accepted by others. Or you could take a different task of the Clan MacLeod. We come from the island of Lewis. We don't lie. We might steal the odd sheep, but we don't lie. And in that case, you're motivating your child to change by a feeling of superiority. It's pride-based. And that's why a lot of people are honest. It's from the fear of being punished or maybe losing face, or it's out of a sense of superiority. The problem is both of these motivations make us tell the truth. They may do that, but they don't change us inside. They don't make us love the truth. And so the gospel motivates us quite differently. The gospel of Jesus Christ creates a love of truth from the inside out. Like God, whom we have been made like, we love truth. And the Spirit leads us deeper into that love. God doesn't tell the truth because somebody is going to punish him, but because at his core, in his nature, he is truth and he loves truth. You can't really change them where it matters in their heart. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says that you can't make a tree come alive by hanging fruit on it. We had our first frost on Thursday night. It came early this year. I was supposed to bring the tomato plants in so that the tomatoes didn't all die, but I forgot to do that. So how do you make that up to your wife? Well, obviously, you go to the grocery store and you buy tomatoes from No Frills, and, and then you go to the hardware store and you buy duct tape, and you duct tape the tomatoes to the dead tomato plant. It's obvious, isn't it? Now, most of the techniques we use to change in our lives are like that. They're like duct taping tomatoes to a dead tomato plant. And that's moralism. Moralism is what is preached by every religion in the world, and unfortunately, in a lot of churches, too. Now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you were raised in churches where you heard real Christians uh, don't drink beer, real Christians don't swear, real Christians don't listen to heavy metal, or hip-hop, or whatever. Real Christians only vote for a certain political party. External behavior mattered more in that setting than the inside. But what God, what God cares about most of all is our hearts. And so gospel change, this is the second thing that is unique about the kind of change that Christ brings into our lives. Gospel change is also a response to grace and not an attempt to earn God's favor. Throughout this passage we read, especially towards its end, Paul reminds us that God has forgiven us. And so God gives you his righteousness as a gift, not as something you have to earn or prove. If you're an atheist, all that matters in life ultimately is what you make of yourself. There is no other truth. And every religion other than Christianity in the world tells you if you achieve if you become better, if you work harder, then you will be accepted. The gospel reverses that. With Jesus, you are accepted because of what God has achieved on your behalf. And the very key to this whole passage is in verses 22 and 24, where Paul says to put off your old self and put on your new self. And in the original language in the Greek, that is written in a tense that we don't have in English, which makes it clear that this has already happened. It's in the past. It has been done. 
And Paul is reminding the Ephesian Christians as he's reminding us that that's who we are. They don't have to live up to that change. Rather, it's given to them as a gift. We are made new in Christ, thanks to... He's not talking here about taking off and putting on new behaviors. That is going to come later. But right here, he's talking about a whole new self. That comes before the list of ways we need to act now. Becoming a Christian is being someone before it's doing something. Paul is talking about total change on the inside. You're made new. And then you're going to want to live in that newness, in that new self of who you are in Christ. You can think of it this way. When you go for a run or a workout or maybe you fix a fence in your backyard, you come home, you come into the house, and you have to have a shower to get clean. After your shower, you're not going to put your sweaty, dirty clothes back on, right? You have been made new once and for all in Christ, and the Holy Spirit invites you to live like it. So the gospel changes us by telling us of God's acceptance and love for us first, and then God invites us to love him in return. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God could not love you more. You're struggling with temptation. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's despair. Maybe it's consistency in your walk with Christ. Let me say it again. God could not love you more. His love and acceptance of you is not conditioned on your performance, but it's a gift given to you in Christ Jesus. You are made new completely forever. I quoted St. Augustine earlier. St. Augustine, before his conversion, was, was famous for indulging in every pleasure. And, and following his conversion, one time the story goes that he was approached by one of his former mistresses in the street. And, and she came up to him, and he didn't respond like she was expecting him to respond. So she said, Augustine, it is I. And he replied, Yes, but it is no longer I. God gives us a new self. Will we live it out? The third unique thing about gospel change is that it's intimately connected to a person. In verse 20, we have another, I'd say, not quite accurate translation in the NIV. Because what Paul says here is not talking about learning about Christ. There's no about in there in the original language. He says, you learned Christ. It's personal. The same thing in verse 30, where he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does that mean? Well, one thing it certainly means is that only a person can grieve. Only a person can feel sorrow. And so the Holy Spirit is a person who wants to get to know you, who you in turn can get to know that we read. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved you. And so Paul has tied our joyful obedience to every member of the Trinity. We do good because we learn Christ, not learn about Christ. We learn Christ as an apprentice would. Jesus is right there with you every step of the way. And we do good because we're children of God, the Father, and we love what our daddy loves. That's how kids learn, right? They imitate their parents. 
And we do good in response to God the Spirit because he lives in us. And we love his presence, his friendship, his wisdom, his correction. Gospel change is intimate and personal, and it always centers on Jesus. And that's where I want to end today. Yesterday morning in my devotions, the reading was from Mark 10 about a blind man named Bartimaeus who encounters Jesus on the road. And he's sitting uh, on the side of the road and, and Jesus walks past him, surrounded by a big crowd. And so Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. And when Jesus stops and comes back to him, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus answers, I want to see. And it says that Bartimaeus received his sight and followed Jesus down the road. It may be that you don't know. You're listening this morning and you don't really know what it means to put off your old self and for God to change you and to give you a whole new identity in Christ. Maybe you've never asked him to do that for you. Or it may be that you you do know about that, but it's not personal for you the way it once was. You haven't been living up to it. You feel a growing distance between you and God. I want to encourage you this morning to respond like Bartimaeus did. Pray to God and simply ask him for help, knowing that he alone can satisfy you, that his words, his truth, his life, is the only way, the only thing that will endure. Say the prayer of Bartimaeus. Lord, have mercy on me and open my eyes so that I can truly see you and live. Why don't we just take a moment and I invite you at home, I invite those of you who are in this room with me to pray a prayer like that, to reflect on what we've heard this morning in the gospel. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And let's make this next song, which is about seeing Jesus, a prayer as well.